Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Hello, everybody. This is Jim Fannin. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. My name is Seth, Jim sidekick and producer here on America's Most Positive Podcast, which we just learned actually helps you live longer. But that's that's going to be a little bit later on the show. So what's on your mind, Jim? Uh, living longer. Living longer is <laughs> okay. always on my mind. Uh, I, well, I want to talk about that study. Let, let's go ahead and yeah. get that up. Let's, right, let's go right rearrange off the Rearrange things? Okay. Well... A British study, a positive mental attitude reduces inflammation. Okay, I like that. Cancer, hello, and heart disease. And I think we've known this, and, and, and most of us believe this, definitely at the Jim Panic Show, we're, we're definitely advocates. But 3,000 healthy adults, uh, a London University study, uh, those that reported upbeat moods had lower levels of cortisol. And we can break that down. Cortisol, that's the stress hormone that leads to high blood pressure, weakened immune systems, and even abdominal obesity. And, uh, but as most of the Zoniacs know listening, we do need cortisol. Yeah. It gets us off the couch. It gets us moving. Uh, it is a stressor. Uh, there's no question. But it helps us narrow our focus. So, uh but the best stress is the stress you place on yourself on your terms and conditions. Now, stress, it just keeps coming in from the outside, from third parties or uh, third-party situations, conditions, or circumstances. Well, that'll put a steady flow of cortisol, and then too much of it uh, is definitely going to cause uh, fluctuations in your emotions, chronic inflammation, heart disease, definitely cancer. Uh, people need to recognize the things that make them feel good. And that's what this show's all about. If, yeah. if you dwell on what makes you feel good as opposed to what doesn't make you feel good, uh, you're going to have better health and hopefully more longevity. And one of the things that we can unpack here is just the fact that so many people think there's this, there's this false dichotomy of either I'm successful and I'm stressed out to the max, and that's what actually gets me to the success, or I'm just kind of leaning back on the couch and I never really see anything happen in my life. And the score system actually blows that whole model up uh, with brain science, with 40 years of, uh, of 2,500 clients who have all performed at the, at, at the top of their game in all kinds of different arenas. And so if you've never actually listened to a, an episode of the Jim Fannin show before, that's, that's got to be some good news to you right there. It's not about stressing yourself out in order to win. 
Uh, there's another uh, piece from this study. Uh, well, this is actually from a Harvard researcher, Sean Anker, a- Acker. Um, if people watched even three to four minutes of negative news, 27% of the per- t- participants were more likely to be depressed for the next six to eight hours. Whoa. Wow. Think about that. I, I just watched three to four minutes of negative news, which means I'm watching television. Uh, or I'm watching the news yeah. on television, 27% of the participants watching were more likely to be depressed for the next six to eight hours of their day. And the the news cycle, uh, whatever's on the news, you know, hour to hour, it's just regurgitated. It, it may be a different spin, a different opinion, a different slant viewpoint, but it's the same negative. Over and some people are binging on news, uh, so you can just go and figure out now what's the depression rate and how long is that going to last. So what's the takeaway here? Be positive. Uh, avoid allowing anyone, anyone, any third person—that's family, friends, coworkers—to increase your breath per minute, increase your heart rate and increase your blood pressure. We control our thoughts, and our thoughts really, that's what this study is all about, how we think. So just because we see something negative doesn't need mean we need to incorporate it, replay it, and, and own it. We don't need to own it. I think we need to dismiss it. Uh, yeah, you want to be up on the news. I, I want to know what's happening, but I'm not going to obsess over one story and then replay it over and over, share it with friends, get in discussions about it. Uh, we're going down a depressed rabbit hole once we do that, and, and now we have science to back that up, which we've known here uh, on our yeah. show, but this is just one more study. Actually, these are two studies that just verify what we've been talking about. Well, and this really is... Be a, positive, right? Be positive, and this really is about being able to choose your path through your day, your week, your month, because mm-hmm. the study also said basically... If you never pay attention to uh, what's going on in the world, that actually kind of gives people anxiety, too. You want to know what's going on around you. Sure you do. Uh, So it's not about shutting off. It's not about saying, well, we're going to pitch all cell phones in the garbage. uh, And it's uh, okay to have an opinion on what's going on. Absolutely. But to obsess over it and replay it and replay it and replay it. That's where the detriment starts. Yeah. And I, I would I would say they didn't ask this question in that study. But that has to be what's going on if somebody gets that far down off of three to four minutes of negative news. It gets kind of stuck like a loop in your head. It's like a bad song that just won't go away. Won't go away. Well, I, I have some good news. Okay. I'm moving to Mexico City. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually moving. I'm moving tomorrow. I'm joking, of course, but I'm thinking about it when I saw this article. Starbucks has just opened up the first ever cafe that's staffed entirely by people 55 to 66 i'll be 69 my next birthday so obviously i've I've out uh lived starbucks but this is a total starbucks run by seniors and they're opening the first one i'm not sure the reasoning behind this but i like it uh seniors uh many of us uh, have outlived our uh, nest eggs if you will so a job with benefits so this is a Starbucks run by seven older employees, again, between the age of 55 and 66, 
and all of them are guaranteed insurance for major medical insurance and at least two days off per week. So um, this is fascinating. This is the first. I may not be moving to Mexico City, but uh, if I do need that job, <laughs> I know where I can get it. And um, everything's been adapted to the senior employee. Shifts will run no longer than six and a half hours, and the store shelves, they've been lowered, <clears throat> so they're more physically accessible. So um, pretty wild. They're going to hire at least 120 more senior adults by the end of 2018. So this is a little experiment uh, to get all of us seniors drinking more Starbucks. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's pretty simple. They sell a lot of coffee. They'll have more of these. They don't sell coffee. We'll be having 12-year-olds selling it, you know, <laughs> or whatever the minimum age requirement is. It's about pushing coffee. But anyway, I, I like the fact that they're uh, trying something new, trying to hit a new market, um, Mexico City. And this kind of feeds into something that uh, you really need in your life. We're talking about positivity. We're talking about trying new things. The theme through all the stories that we're going to hit on the show today really is about closing, right? Because Starbucks started out as one guy that everybody thought he was he was basically dumb. They're like, well, I can get coffee from the gas station and, and take it with me. Why yeah. wouldn't I do that? Yeah, Schultz, Why would somebody Schultz. go sit in there and pay five bucks to drink your coffee? That's, five bucks that's for crazy. coffee? They're out of their mind. <laughs> and, and Could yeah. I have a double latte, please? <laughs> and yet, you know, we, we all can name almost immediately the people who have closed and closed and closed. And by closed, we mean finish the task, get the deal, smash the home run, uh, you know, be decisive, fully, be decisive, fully fund the charity, whatever it is that's in your arena. Uh, you know, there are people that it just looks like, well, they were just born with the closer gene, except for the fact that there isn't a closer gene. So there, there is a method to this. Uh, and you know what? I, I think the more you close, the more you can really spread around positivity and, and make a difference in people's lives as well. Well, I totally agree on that. I mean, how many times uh, have we had a great round of golf going and uh, the last six holes, all of a sudden we uh, uh, blow up. And uh, even though we played great for 12 holes, that last six, we gave a lot of shots back. And, and that can ruin the whole day. I've said this before. I've had two pros that I'm coaching. One, both shoot 70. One's happy, one's unhappy. The one that's unhappy had the round of his life going, and then double bogey, bogey, double bogey in the last three holes. He still shoots 70, 200 par, should be a little bit happy, but he's upset because he didn't finish, he didn't close, and uh, a round that he thought was going to be in the low 60s turned out to be 70. So he's going home, not happy at all. The other guy started off poorly, but finishes eagle birdie birdie. He's happy. The same score two different guys and this has happened to me on many times and i'm going out to dinner with both of them one with a frown and and uh one, one with a smile same score it's how you finish it, you know starting well there's a lot to say about getting off to a great start that's a big deal that's crucial but the bottom line how do you finish champions are finishers uh they close the deal whether it's business uh, even a conversation, how you close, even a meeting that you have, what you say at the end to tie everything up, 
and to its conclusion. So there's takeaways so that everybody knows what they need to do, when they need to do it, maybe even how they need to do it. Uh, that finality of a meeting, that's a closer. And leaders are very good at that. In fact, the best leaders are great at that. There's no misunderstanding when you leave the meeting. You're, and your team is only as good as what people think when they leave the meeting and go back uh, to their office cubicle or even go home. You know, one of the things that I, I've really kind of observed and learned since joining the Jim Fannin show is a great year. In a lot of ways, it's made up of some really specific moments that are, are smaller than you maybe think, right? So, you know, if you're going to have a blockbuster year in business, that comes down to maybe a few key meetings or sales pitches. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're if you going to succeed in sports, that could be a situation where you hit a dry spell, but then all of a sudden you really hit that clutch performance right at the at the right time. Uh, yeah, I, re- I remember uh, coaching Oral Hershiser, a great Los Angeles Dodger uh, pitcher, uh, set the record for consecutive uh, shutout innings in a row. Uh, a great mind in baseball. And he said, every year, 50 pitches dictate whether I have a, a great year, a good year, or an off year. 50 pitches, a couple of thousand pitches, 50 pitches. These are moments of truth. And I think uh, in, in any competition, uh, especially when the contest is heatly contested, uh, down at the end, it's these moments of truth that really change the complexion of the event. And uh, the best uh, during those moments of truth, they just execute the basics, the basic fundamentals of the sport, of the business, of the game, uh, and then they pick up the money. So executing the basics during a moment of truth, that's definitely a key. Uh, whereas a lot of people, especially non-champions, we've all been there, uh, we believe we need to do more than we need to do, and that's how you wind up choking during the moments of truth. So in the sports arena, in the physical arena, you do what you do, what you do, and you stick to that thing, right? And any kind of interpersonal you know, relationship, which is how business gets done, it's how careers get built, it's, it's even honestly how you have the best parent-teacher conference now that we're get, getting into the fall season, right? Oh, yeah. uh, you, have, you have the best relationship with the, the uh, educators who are, are shepherding the minds of your children. So when you said that uh, you know, CEOs, the best leaders, you know, they know how to, to hit that landing, so to speak, and, and to be able to walk out and really have in the, the, the mind of the other person what, they want, what the, you know, the leader wants them to be thinking. Right? Well, the, the great leader is on a macro level. Uh, playing macro chess, and, and they can definitely go into the micro issues and the details. And sometimes, you know, it, it's all about the details. But that macro uh, issue is always at the forefront. Uh, so when you have a conversation with someone you care about, uh, someone that you would like to influence in a positive way, this could be a, a, a child that you're parenting, uh, the takeaway of that conversation may only be one thing. Maybe it's two things. Maybe it's three at the most. And whatever that takeaway, that needs to be implanted into that person's mind, almost with indelible ink, uh, about what the meeting was really about, what this discussion's about, what this conversation's about. And um, I, I think there's so much information. We get caught up in the minutia, get caught up in the details. 
And I'm saying, let, let's don't sweat the small stuff. Yes, it, details are important. I, I, we need to be fastidious. I get that. But as leaders and as champions, uh, we need to focus on the macro issue at hand. And uh, we got some sports over the weekend that really showcase that. But before we get into sports, Seth, I had a crazy weekend. Okay. I, 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 I shot a 50 caliber machine gun. Hello. <laughs> That's something I did not believe that I would be doing. On, That's a statement that demands a story right uh, there. At the end of last show, if you'd have said, hey, I think you'll be shooting a 50 caliber machine gun, I'm like, seriously? Why, why would I want to do that? I, I, don't, I don't see that in my future. I went to a reenactment of World War II at Lockport, uh, Illinois. It was at a park district, a huge park, and uh, it was an amazing ceremony. Uh, the opening ceremony, now, these reenactment soldiers, there's German soldiers, there was Polish soldiers in Polish encampments, exact replica of World War II, Japanese. Uh, French. Uh, there was a cafe. Uh, there was uh, lots of vendors selling World War II, you know, paraphernalia. Um, a lot of kids, a lot of family, and there was a real battle, and it was choreographed exactly the way that battle uh, unfolded. And uh, I, I was, I was really impressed. I didn't know what to expect. A friend invited me to go. So it was a World War II reenactment. Um, uh, as I was walking around with the vendors, I, I met the ROTC group from uh, University of Loyola, and they were operating a booth uh, where uh, you could shoot a fifty caliber and donate uh, money to charity. And, uh, and I did, and uh, it was a pretty uh, humbling experience. I mean, what a, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, this, this gun... I mean, I had on headphones, so, you know, it didn't burst my eardrums. It was so loud. Yeah, it, uh, you know, we're, we're a podcast, so obviously we can't show you a photo right now, but it, this thing's like up on a, on a mount, basically. You couldn't even hold it in your hand if you wanted to. And, and then during the reenactment, uh, before it even started, they had a tribute to uh, Gold Star families, a tribute to prisoners of war, very symbolic, very solemn. Uh, national anthems played. Again, a lot of families. And out on the battlefield are all these different troops uh, with uh, World War II uh, equipment and uh, uh, small uh, arms and uh, major artillery. Uh, and they even had uh, flyovers doing a strafing mission and with real, uh, it looked like real, bomb set off. My, my friend was actually the pyro guy who actually set this up. I need to watch him. But <laughs> he... Uh, set up all the explosions. It was so real. Uh, it was also terrifying. You know, there's war right there firsthand. They had nurses, complete reenactment. Um, and, and this was for the veterans. It was for the troops. And it was also to let us know that, yes, uh, freedom, uh, there is sacrifice. And it showcased that. So, uh, yeah, I was honored to actually go out there and especially help uh, veterans. So, I, I was in the zone. I, I was going to say, this is very much a zone experience because, you know, so much of what you've helped so many clients do is spend most of your time in the present, right? I mean, sometimes you got to go to the future for forecasting. Sometimes you got to look back at the past, but you need to spend most of your time in the present. And this is an experience that kind of pulls you out of, uh, you know, out of kind of that 
that habit that so many people get into of kind of a lot of screen time on the weekends. You you kind of you see it, you feel it, you taste it, you hear it, uh, and that brings you into uh, something that you know not just provides perspective and enjoyment, uh, but but really does demand that you're in the present when there's explosions going off. You're probably not going to be checking Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And th- and this was uh, I went out there f- uh, for a client who had actually doing this on a volunteer basis, and uh, uh, it-, it was amazing how well orchestrated, how well run it was, how clean everything was and polite. And and this was over lots of acreage. I mean, they had encampments again for you know Polish, Russian in uniform, World War II uniform. So it was uh, it was pretty amazing uh, to see a lot of kids. How about sports? Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh. Um, all right, let, let's just put <laughs> let's put the cards on the table. Obviously, uh, we I live in uh, uh, Chicago. Yeah, it, you know, it, when I I prep the stories I, for the I, show, I try not to be biased towards I, Chicago sports. I'm, but oh I'm, my gosh, I'm a Bears fan and I've been a Bears fan for a long time. Uh, I totally respect. Uh, the highest paid quarterback in, in the world, which would be Aaron Rodgers. So here we have uh, the Bears going up uh, against uh, Green Bay Sunday night. Khalil Mack just paid him a zillion dollars, the highest paid defensive uh, uh, player in the league, going up against the highest paid offensive pe- player in the league. What a great matchup. Um, and Mack was in the zone. I mean, all pro pass rusher, he didn't waste any time, Seth. He got off uh, uh, to an amazing start. He had a sack, forced fumble, fumble recovery, an interception, and a touchdown. That's before halftime. And on a third and goal situation, uh, Mac broke, uh, moved past a wide out. Uh, Then he moved past the right tackle, stripped the ball from the quarterback. Pretty amazing, and then he had a pick six to give the Bears seventeen nothing lead at halftime. And Aaron Rodgers hurts his ankle; he may not come back. He could be out for the year. Yeah, they're carting him off the field. Carting uh, him off the field. You don't know if his legs broke. You don't know what the deal is, but it's probably not good to get him off the field. How many Bears fans were party hardy and the doom and gloom <laughs> at Lambeau? Nobody. Uh, uh, does this at Lambeau. I, I'm going to confess that I, I sent a text message to a friend who, who'd hosted uh, the Super Bowl party in 08 when the Bears were there. And I said, well, you hosted last time, so I guess I'll get this one if they get there, <laughs> which is probably a little bit premature on my part. Well, everyone knows what happened. Out comes Rogers. The entire stadium erupts in hope and positivity. The Savior is back on the field. Uh, in the third quarter, and uh, proceeds to shred the Bears' defense and uh, go on to win 24-23. Now, I've had this scenario uh, with the Bears before. At one time, I was coaching a lineman for the Bears, and he gave me an audio tape that he he had uh, procured of his line coach talking to the line, the offensive line, at halftime. And it was horrific. It was all about what you did wrong. It was all about negativity. It was a lot of foul language, locker room language. And it was putting down the team. 
no strategy, no tactics. And it was no wonder that year that the Bears were worst in the NFL in third quarter efficiency, third quarter points. How you start the third quarter really depends on the coach and the leaders on the team. And when you're up 17 to nothing, there's one thing for sure going to happen, especially when you got Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay in Lambeau. They're going to narrow their focus. Their intensity is going to go sky high, especially sometime in the third quarter. They're going to do that, and you can feel it. You can feel it from the crowd. You can feel it from the players. And all of a sudden, the energy shifted. It was dramatic. And, and you could just see it as one touchdown and then another touchdown. Another, I mean, it was steamrolled energy. So what do you do when you're ahead? Well, you have to match the intensity, at least of the opposition. So let's say just with a mathematical example, 10 is your maximum intensity for the team. And you're at an eight and the other team's a six and you just catch them off guard. And, and that's really what the Bears did. They came out at a solid eight or nine and uh, Green Bay a little bit flat, intensity not there, getting pushed around on, on, the, uh, on the defensive line, definitely. Uh, offensive line not really in control of what's going on, that energy. And then all of a sudden in the second half, it was completely reversed. So what's the killer instinct? It's matching or exceeding the energy of the person that's behind because they're going to automatically fight back. You get an animal trap, they're going to fight to get out of that predicament, and they're going to narrow their focus. They're going to execute the basics, and they're going to get their energy on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and that's the key. And when you start thinking about yourself, about shoulda, coulda, woulda, you're going to be on the wrong end of history, and that's exactly what happened to the Bears. I'm sure they woke up today going, how do, how do we lose How that? do we get here? Yeah, how do we get here? It's not even possible. Uh, talk about a Cinderella story of the highest paid offensive, uh, uh, obviously the quarterback, uh, highest paid of all time. Wow. Uh, pay him. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> Pay know, the guy. I, I don't uh, think we were, we haven't really had a hit movie about football for a few years, a blockbuster movie. But I feel like Disney's going to like rip off the the second half of this game and make it into a movie because it was just like that kind of storyline that, that that this was able to be pulled off. It's crazy. Uh, it was one of those here we go again, um, and, and this just uh, adds to the legend of Aaron Rodgers, the of famous hail mary last minute. Uh, fourth quarter heroics. This was epic. This 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 will go in a time capsule. Now let me. Throw I me know it's only the first game. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Wow. It's week one. It's week one. Uh, let me throw a question to you about feedback uh, because you, you said that you know the, this line coach would just bring his line down so much, right? And oddly enough, in my head, I compared that to uh, um, a, a guy I used to work with who did some uh, kind of corporate counseling. So he would work with dysfunctional teams who were trying to get along basically if you're fighting with your coworkers, they get you uh marriage counseling for the for the team so to speak in some ways and uh 
he said whether it was a, a rough marriage or a rough team situation, he'd always just walk in and the first thing he would say is, you seem like nice people. How can we stop meeting like this? Yeah, it, put it in the positive, put it in the present. Uh, so all of us give feedback in one way or another, right, to, to somebody else. And so obviously the extreme is yelling at your line so much that the, all they're thinking about was that they had their foot in the wrong place and then the play went by them and, uh, you know, and the team's losing. Well, we, but, we I, you know, I don't know exactly what happened in the locker room, but yeah. I, I will tell you that uh, the attitude in the locker room at halftime, if we could go back in time and be a fly on the wall and listen to the attitude through body language and through verbal communication of both teams, we could see how everything was poised to reverse itself. Because there's no doubt that Green Bay changed their tactics. They changed their behavior. They went to very uh, short plays. Rodgers gave the defensive line no time to put pressure on him. The plays were two seconds, uh, two and a half seconds. Uh, So they weren't long uh, plays of where he had the the ball three seconds, four seconds, which lets that amazing. And and you got to take your hat off to the Bears defense. They looked like the 85 Bears. They, They were impressive in the first half. But, you know, the second half, they looked, well, they got shredded, you know, by Rodgers. And I, I didn't see any adjustments for the Bears, really, in adjusting to Green Bay's adjustment. And that's part of closing. You know, you need to make subtle adjustments. Uh, it could be changing your behavior, changing tactics, changing strategy. Uh, but that's part of closing. When you get somebody down, uh, you need to keep the pressure on them. And it flipped in a snap of the fingers. And Rodgers did not let up. Uh, the Green Bay defense didn't let up. Uh, definitely put pressure on the Bears quarterback. So, uh, boy, that's that's a tough loss. There's a lot of lessons there. I hope the Bears learn them. I think there's a lot of lessons for Green Bay, and that is we're winners. Yeah, you, you know we're, we're we know how to win, and Rodgers is our guy. He's a winner, and. Uh, I think the Bears are going to have a great season. I really do. They're, they are formidable. And uh, Mac was amazing, uh, to say the least. So uh, it's going to be a fun NFL, NFL season, definitely. <laughs> and, and we also had another uh, interesting game. The Cleveland Browns. Talk about losing. Cleveland Browns have been losing and losing and losing, and uh, they need a win so badly. And um, they did not get the win. But they didn't get the loss. (laughs) But they didn't get the loss. They had a tie. How many ties in the NFL? Not many. Uh, But at least they stopped their losing streak uh, in in that first game. So that's interesting. Uh, So they uh, got a tie. So they kind of won by not losing. Uh, I think that's a setback, however, for the Steelers. And... uh, the season's young. It is. <clears throat> now, l- let me ask you a question about this Browns game here real quick, because they were actually down 21-7 to at the, the top of the fourth quarter, and obviously there's clearly a, a, an attitude of kind of cynicism and negativity, even among like the season ticket holders and, and, and fans, and that has to go into the team themselves of, oh, man, this is Cleveland. We're just not going to get there. And yet, you know, in 
one quarter when it counted, <clears throat> they were able to shake off kind of that negativity, kind of that like just kind of weight on their shoulders of, oh, well, we don't we don't close when the money's on the table. Well, you know, this is a close of the Cleveland Browns. I mean, there's only, uh, you know, about two minutes left in the game. And uh, Tyrod Taylor connected with Josh Gordon for a 17-yard touchdown, ties the game, and forces overtime. Um, the Browns had a chance late in regulation to steal the win, uh, but Taylor was intercepted trying to go back to Gordon again down the sideline with less than 20 seconds remaining. I mean, they're going to end this game going, you know what? We can do this. I believe I can win. You need belief. But if someone expects to win, they're going to beat the person that believes they can win. And the, the team that expects to win, they're going to get beat by a team that knows they can win. And I think this nudges Cleveland one step closer to knowing. I think it's going to give them some expectancy. At least they ended on a positive note. They did have victory in the grasp. They were looking at it. But I think it's going to put uh, the Steelers in the opposite. they got to be going, are you kidding me? <laughs> how, how do we do that? That's a negative. So we're, it's going to be interesting to see how both teams recover. Uh, this is not only the Steelers-Browns, but it's also what's going to happen with Green Bay and the Bears. Uh, two amazing games down to the last minute, and how is each team going to respond? Well, if you want to go back to uh, the, the golf story that you talked about in the beginning there, this is as close to two ties in the same weekend as we're ever going to get, you know, one-point game for Bears-Packers and then the, uh, the the literal tie game for the, the Browns-Steelers. So in each one of those, you've got somebody that, a team that ends on really a, a sour note because the Steelers don't want to be the ones that uh, that wind up breaking the losing streak of uh, the Browns. And then the Browns and then the Packers, you have this big, you know, kind of elation, this adrenaline rush because of an amazing fourth quarter where everybody pulled together. So the scoreboard doesn't necessarily tell you what's in the minds and the attitudes and what you got to recover for and get ready for the next week. Uh, this is the uh, same thing in business. You know, the, the profit and loss statement that your stock uh, uh, shares uh, don't always reflect the mindset of your company. And, um, you know, the key is the thoughts of every line item that goes into a profit and loss statement. Uh, and the leader is responsible for influencing those thoughts. Uh, we're getting ready to come up on the fourth quarter of the year. And you may be right at that pivotal place where you're going to take your company to the next level. You're going to leapfrog uh, some ferocious competitors who've been owning some market share in your industry, or you're not. And um, uh, you need to be prepared for the fourth quarter now. That plan should be in place on, on how you're going to close the fourth quarter. So this is not just for sports. Uh, this is pretty much in everything, everything that you do. And that includes grades. It includes grades. You know, at the end of uh, the marking, the grade period, uh, you're going to have to close. You're going to have to be prepared for a final exam uh, and execute the basics uh, when the money's on the table dictating the grade you're going to have. So this shows about closing. It's about being decisive. It's about executing the basics uh, when the money's on the table during a moment of truth.
And just to go over a moment of truth, well, it's that point in time when the next move you make or the next move you don't make dictates the outcome. And we see that in tennis. So, you know, you are a former pro tennis player. Tennis seems to be pretty uniquely set up to have these really dramatic moments. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's the greatest sport for one reason. It's the only sport where you can be absolutely getting crushed unmercifully. 6-0, 5-0, 40-love, triple match point. And it's a humbling experience. And then something can happen. And I've seen it happen. I've been part of it happening. That reverses it because there's no time limit in tennis. There's none. It's not like, oh, I only got two minutes to go or one minute to go, as in football, uh, or one inning to go, as as in baseball. Uh, Same thing in basketball. Tennis, I mean, matches can last five hours, and they do. Uh, Let's talk a little tennis because what a controversy hit the U.S. Open. And I've been part of history at the U.S. Open. I was part of uh, coaching Adriano Panada, we lost in five sets uh, in uh, one of the most historic matches of U.S. Open against Jimmy Connors and talk about intensity. And uh, this controversy of this U.S. Open uh, is in the women's finals. Serena Williams going after more historic accolades uh, to win the title uh, against 20 year old Naomi Osaka. Uh, it's her first Grand Slam. Uh, appearance title, and uh, could she defeat her idol? I mean, Serena was her idol, but this was bizarre. It was memorable, and it descended definitely into a spectacle uh, when uh, William Serena, you know, she angrily protested several penalty and uh, that she was issued, and it did not turn out in her favor. Uh, really took a, a lot of the spotlight off of this 20-year-old Naomi Osaka. And let's put this in perspective. Osaka was definitely in control of the match, played amazing. This is a genera- generational showdown, an emerging star and the greatest champion that uh, tennis has seen. And then all of a sudden, uh, Serena spirals into a series of confrontations with the match umpire. And I want to talk about this umpire because he was the center of controversy, but this guy's been around for decades. He's got a reputation of not taking any crap from a star, uh, no matter how big the stage. And, of course, it doesn't get any bigger than the finals of the U.S. Open. Here's what happens. Serena's coach uh, was accused of communicating or signaling during the match. And a replay showed him literally giving her the signal, go to the net. And Serena uh, took exception. She got warned for illegal coaching. Uh, And here's a quote. I have never cheated my life. This is what she told Carlos Ramos, uh, the umpire. I have a daughter, and I stand for what's right for her. Uh, and, And I understand that. And maybe she didn't see the coaching. But the coach admitted he was coaching. He said she probably didn't see it. Uh, but coaching's coaching. So she gets docked one point, point penalty. Uh, later in the match, she gets so upset, she smashes her racket. That's another point penalty. Now, if you get three of these, you're now assessed a game, an entire game penalty. 
And uh, that's literally what happened. She was still protesting. Serena wouldn't leave it alone. She kept putting this infraction on a loop. It really bothered her from a deep character point of view. And I get that. And then Serena makes a statement to the umpire that he's a thief. He's stolen this match from her. Now, the umpire's got a lot of pride. He's got also has uh, uh, subjectivity on what is verbal abuse to an official because that's an infraction, and that infraction would get you a game penalty. Uh, I believe he should have walked away, left it on the table, uh, calling someone that you're uh, 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 that what you did uh, by giving her this warning uh, really changed the complexion, and she called him a thief. Uh, but at that moment, it gave uh, a game to uh, Osaka. Now she's got a five-three. Uh, sitting there on the table, uh, ready to close out this match. And uh, Serena goes berserk. And I've seen so many men do far worse. And there's a lot of people, Billy Jean King's a friend. I've known Billy for a long time. She thought it was sexist. Uh, Andy Roddick says he said things worse. So uh, there's controversy now that uh, Serena was not treated fairly. She was treated, uh, well, you're a woman. We're going to treat you differently than a man. And uh, she wouldn't stand for it. So that's the controversy. And the only negative from this is it took away from a great match because Osaka clearly uh, deserved this U.S. Open win. She really did. She played awesome. You know, if you if you didn't catch last week's episode, we talked about the five stages of performance and how you can move up and down through those. And so, obviously, Serena... Uh, through kind of the circumstances here, really got pulled into the lower. Uh, what, what's the stage below the down, the downs again? Like a low score level, at least. Well, it, there's low score, which is symptoms of going into that depressed down state. And you know, once you're there, anger, frustration, uh, all those negative attributes, they're going to race to the forefront, and that's going to cloud reasoning. That's really what happened to Serena. She wasn't playing well to begin with. I know she was frustrated. Uh, but I do think in this situation, uh, I thought the uh, the umpire, even though he's right to do that, he has every right to say that's verbal abuse, and uh, a tribunal could say, yeah, verbal abuse, but he also has the discretion of letting it go, and uh, he has that discretion. So I, I, I thought he should have let that infraction uh, go. Well, let, let me throw one more question here about uh – about getting through these different uh, levels of performance, right? And so for Serena, it's just her out there. Tennis is is you and the other person, and it's a war. I'm actually going to go back. I, I don't think I've ever done this before. We go back to my senior year of high school basketball. The only technical foul I ever got in my life. Uh, I was uh, called for a foul, even though I'd been kind of had my my hands straight up, and I was so in the moment or upset or something that. Uh, I grabbed the ball and slammed it down hard enough. It went back up and went through the hoop <laughs> the other for the other team. So it sort of looked like I scored a point for them. So you had the, uh, you know, they got to shoot a, a, a free throw for, uh, for the foul and then two for, for that. And then they got the ball because it was a technical. Uh, and playoffs, 
that actually almost cost them or cost us the season. That would have been the last time I played in high school and I did go on to play in college, but what a terrible note to, to end on. And then somehow one of my best friends came down the court and threw up this like Steph Curry three pointer that we now see in the NBA, but you didn't see in high school, you know, 17, 18 years ago and just drains a thing. And it changed the mindset of the entire team. I mean, it, it did. So the, the mindset went maybe all the way close to the downs, low score level. And then one three pointer brought us all the way back up. Right. Well, I mean, that's what's so great about sports is that one thing can uh, change the mindset of either team. And uh, that's why you can see just complete reversals of fortune. Uh, with Serena, though, her energy was on her side of the net. She was struggling, struggling with the serve. She was not pleased with her play in the first set. Uh, not pleased in the second set, though she did mount a little comeback to, to get it back even. Uh, and, and so when this infraction happened uh, to give Osaka a game, uh, to give her uh, you know five games, she needs one more to win the set, uh, I think that was really the last straw. But it, it was a case where all the energy was on Serena putting it on herself. So uh, I, you have to really take your hat off, too. Uh, this young 20-year-old champion, and, and I hope the public really rallies around her. Uh, she did nothing but play amazing tennis, yeah. and she was clearly the best player that day. Yeah, She was. And so uh, this is kind of ironic because this whole thing started about quote-unquote coaching you know, for Serena, but if, if you're working with an athlete or with a, a person in business or whatever they're going after, right, and there there's this external factor that, really messes you up that's where we use the 90 second rule well the the 90 second rule was really born from tennis because the changeover on odd games is 90 seconds and uh my first venture on the pro tour as a coach uh i played a match uh i i coached a match and my player was going up against the number one player in the world, and the number one player's coach started coaching, giving signals, and literally reversed it with his coaching, which was against the rules. I, I was kind of a rookie uh, full-time coach on the, on the ATP and, and WTA tours, and I was incensed. I was so upset. So I uh, filed a formal complaint against the ATP, uh, the Association of Tennis Pros, are like, what's up with that? This guy's coaching. It's obvious. And their comment to me was, we can't prove it. You got I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And the guy looked me in the eye and he goes, Jim, do what you got to do. And I'm like, wow. So he gave me the green light. Uh, if, if you can't lick them, join them. And, and so I did coach. And everybody was coaching. And, and I think and Billy Jean King made this statement uh, earlier this week, make coaching a part of the game. People are doing it. It's happening. It's real. Make the coach able to coach. I think what that's going to do, it eliminates this controversy. That's number one. And, and number two, I know the purists say no coaching, no coaching. And, and I, I, I guess I am a purist in some way. But I, I am a coach, and I think coaching that's open, uh, the coach is there, maybe even on the court, uh, it now adds a little uh, tactic, strategy, 
And I think it, it will really get the fans more into this tactic and strategy because you're going to be formally aware of it. You're going to see it even more, how matches are completely shifted by tactic change, behavior change. And the coach does have some uh, input in that, no question. You know, obviously that was, other than the NFL, that was the biggest uh, sports story over the weekend. But I, we do have to give a little shout out here to, to Djokovic who continues just an amazing streak and uh, continues to turn around in his own right. Like he, he has come back and been able to close. He did not have a great start to 2018, but he's having a great well, I, I talked to his team from Monte Carlo. Uh, I'm in Chicago. His team was in Monte Carlo and uh, he's getting ready. He's off to a poor start in 2018. Uh, Djokovic had a lot of challenges recovering from an injury, had some personal issues. And I was discussing going over there to help him and uh, trying to organize uh, that, which is pretty difficult for me to stop everything I'm doing and yeah. run to Monte Carlo, which I, <laughs> I, I, you know, what's not to like about doing that. Uh, but I didn't go. Uh, but I knew that he had some serious challenges. That's why his team had reached out to me. And uh, for what he's done to win Wimbledon and then come in here, Del Potro was a sentimental favorite had not been to a Grand Slam final since 2009 where he won the U.S. Open, had, I believe, four wrist surgeries in this last decade, and he's the gentle giant from Argentina. Nice guy, big game, uh, but Djokovic was rock solid. And there were a couple of times when uh, the match could have easily changed, but I believe the crucial point, uh, came to one game. One game really changed things around. Uh, it was a 20-minute, 20 22-point epic game with really long exchanges. Uh, so three times Del Potro, uh, uh, Juan Martin Del Potro had break points. Uh, that would give him uh, the right to serve it out uh, to make it one set apiece. And three times, Djokovic, who's the best returner in the world, uh, came back, seized the game, and Del Potro's best chance to make a match of it was over. Djokovic, you are a closer. Uh, the place was rocking in Del Potro's favor. Uh, his fans were crazy. It was like a Davis Cup atmosphere with all kinds of chants, and uh, it, it was really uh, an epic atmosphere uh, for Del Potro, who had that opportunity to get back into the match. Djokovic wouldn't have it. He would, had steely resolve. He executed the basics. He kept it simple, played within himself, and eventually the mistakes by Del Potro uh, just piled up and the match was over. Uh, he is definitely back. Uh, you know, he's won now Wimbledon. He's won the U.S. Open. He'll go in January to the Australian Open, win that, and he'd love to win the French to give him the Djokovic Grand Slam, not in the same year, but uh, pretty impressive. Well, when you you said about the uh, the thing where you've got to be above the intensity of your opponent, right? So if you're winning, you got to, if they're... You got to match it. You got to match it, right? So You got to match it. This is a pretty good example of that, right? Like, the... The match would get close, and then Djokovic would just lock it down. Are you, when you're coaching athletes here, are you telling them 
you your mind needs to be more on your intensity than a specific tactic because you well, as you've said before you don't have time to think out there you need to be thinking well, about your let, mentality. Let, let's take football there's a line of scrimmage and i'm coaching uh, some quarterbacks in d1 i've coached some super bowl quarterbacks you want your energy on the other side of that line of scrimmage the offensive line all their energy should be on the other side of the line of scrimmage to give yourself more time to block uh, the pass rush, uh, to give them less time to get to our quarterback. And um, that's really what Green Bay did. Uh, they sent the energy across the line of scrimmage. Tennis, you got a net. You want your energy on the other side of the net. I want to be picking the ball up. I want to watch the ball bounce on the other side. That's why the net is a net. That's why it's not solid. You can literally see the ball bounce, but you have to look through the net uh, when you're baseline to baseline. So getting your energy on the other side um, is the quest of both teams, both players. And it's just almost like the energy is the tennis ball, and it's going from one side to the other. And eventually, one person, one team, sends the energy on the other side and then does it again and then does it again. And the next thing you know, you got a run going. You got a little zone run. When you're in the zone, there is a flow of purposeful, calm, focused energy, and it's going to tack uh, to targets, um, objectives, uh, within tactics and strategies. And that's what the best know how to do. And that's what a champion does when he closes out a match or closes out a game. Djokovic, Aaron Rodgers, basically same thing, closing it out. And then you go back to Osaka. She closed out that match. That was such a controversy with her idol. Yeah, This girl could have easily folded and choked under this intense pressure, and uh, she did not. So even serving uh, to win the match when everybody was pulling for Serena because everybody felt she was wronged, and and I, I, she probably was, in my opinion, wrong. Uh, Osaka, uh, you know, she was awesome in yeah. closing it out. Yeah, and you talk about that focused intensity. How easy would it have been for Osaka to say it to herself in her own head, oh, even if I win this thing, they're never going to give me credit. Right? Uh, I, and to be a victim right then, even though. <laughs> she's, a vi- she's a victim of the circumstance. Yeah. And, and to, to see Serena's point and, and to feel for Serena, uh, you know, you just don't have time to have those emotions as a competitor. You need reason over emotion, and you don't want to replay negative things that have happened to you while the game's still going on. It's next, next. You know, that next uh, is going to keep the energy flow going and going and going. Champions know how to close. And, you know, we're going to go all the way down to high school sports here, which we don't do a whole lot, but, man, it feels like this story is so relatable because whether it's in your career or whether you wind up, you know, maybe doing some uh, some coaching or some, you know, kind of mentoring, you don't always pick the team that you proverbially or literally put on the field. You know, sometimes you walk in, you got a new job, and you, you kind of look at your coworkers or the people you're managing and going, oh, boy. <laughs> You know, yeah, but that's why you're there. <laughs> but that's why you're there. And this is a reminder that dramatic turnarounds are possible. And you know, we don't have the backstory on how they got a 
they got even a coach to take over this team. There was a Texas high school <laughs> that snapped a 77-game losing streak. Oh now, that was eight years long. Conrad High School lost for eight consecutive years. I mean, I'm sure in a negative way, they were legends in the Fort Worth, Texas area because they were the team that, you know, that you think about that. I mean, that could have been two presidents ago, even. <laughs> uh, that's uh, well, that's a that's a horrible losing streak. The last time they won a game, there might not have been an iPhone. <laughs> uh, that's possible. Well, in the first game of this year, uh, the players rallied, got fired up. They beat Conrad High School 40 to 12 to end a 77-game losing streak. And here's the takeaway, which I think is hysterical. When the students returned to class on Friday morning, the school held a spontaneous parade through the hallway so the players could high-five their peers, revel in their success, all while singing the soundtrack from our good friend, Jim Peterick. Rocky Three <laughs> was pl- was playing over the speakers. I wonder if Jim got residuals on that. I, that's, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what a great uh, song! So so, uh, congrats uh, to the Diamond Hill Jarvis Eagles. Now I, I'm not even sure, like I said, who who they talked into or what the interview job was to coach a team that hasn't won in eight years. It's like, well, do you do you have a pulse? Do you think you can show up at 3.30? Uh, you know what? Just try it. Just just go out there and try it. Somebody had to see something more than a losing team. And they had to spread that vision, that positivity, because I'm guessing that the parents of that area are going... Or they, oh. got, or they got paid a lot of money. Or they got paid a lot of money. Or which, is probably, which is probably not the case. <laughs> yeah, that, I that, doubt that, Yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, so I, I'm guessing even the parents and the kids are like, well, if you have athletic ability, you're not going out for football as your fall sport. Those Those guys never win. And so it really, I'm guessing, had to start with a vision, right? And then you've got to build it from there. Uh, yes, and, and, and you have to have more than belief. Uh, at some point, you have to have expectancy. And, and then with some positive feedback, you get into a sense of knowing. You know, I believe I can win. Oh, okay. I expect to win. That's different. I know I can win. I know I will win. And when you get into a sense of knowing, typically you're not thinking anything because you know you don't need to think. It's that quiet confidence that you know you can execute just the basics, just the fundamentals. And that's really the mark of a great team. They execute the fundamentals, business and in sports, especially during a moment of truth when the money's on the table. And that's how the champion picks up the money. Aaron Rodgers executed the basics. I don't like saying that. I was for the Bears. <laughs> but man, this guy deserves all the money he makes. That was heroic. Yeah. And you know how these pieces get put together. This isn't just something you wake up and decide to do and then just focus really hard on it because Jim says that uh you know, T-R-Y stands to, to ruin yourself. Right. This really is peak performance is made up of five individual pieces. And it's not making one decision or going after one thing. It's making sure that all five of those elements of the score system, S-C-O-R and E, are up because you need every single one of those pieces to achieve each one of the accomplishments we've talked about in this episode and to close in whatever your arena is in your own life. And it goes back to uh, the research 
from uh, uh, London and from uh, Harvard uh, about positive attitude. Positivity prevails. That relentless, relentless pursuit of excellence of next, next, next move, next target, next objective, next tactic. That's really uh, the mark of a champion. Let's go to the um, Zone Cafe. Hey, we do this on the show every week, but this is not just something that's once a week. This is something that you need to be coming back to. Jim, you've got uh, one of the, the, the signature moves of your client are that your clients are people that have multiple alarms set on their phone throughout the day because they're coming back to this, uh, this move, this exercise, continually to make sure uh, that uh, you know, if they do dip down a little bit, that you're not just going into the downs, the lowest part of uh, performance. You're going to get right back up there and kind of hover around or get into the zone. We are what we think. You are what you think. But we need to think about what we think about. We need to do an assessment periodically of our thoughts because our thoughts, every one of them, are actions that have reactions. There's a physical reaction from every thought that I have. There's an emotional reaction, especially if I have a sad thought. My serotonin level changes and I I feel sad. And there's also a sad vibe that can be sent out. And, And the reverse is true. There's a a vibe of positivity. You can feel it in an athletic contest. Uh, You can see the body language. You can see it on the Bears. The Bears quarterback had his head down on the sidelines. Rodgers had his head up while he's playing, confident, complete demeanor change. And this is a guy that was operating on a bum leg. He was limping, couldn't put pressure on it. But his energy was away from him. He was self-disciplined, in the moment focused, concentration. He had extreme optimism, belief, expectancy, and knowing. He was calm and cool uh, as the clock was winding down, uh, down a deficit with not that much time left. And he also loved it and relishes it being in those positions. And, and loves meeting that challenge. I just walked through the score system. And every one of us has, at any given time, higher low levels of self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment. And when I'm onboarding a new client, I do get them to set their alarm the next day in two-hour intervals so that They can be aware and do an assessment, a score check, an awareness focusing on their overarching attitude or mindset. That's a score check. It's an attitude check. It's like checking your attitudinal oil, you know, before you perform. So do a score check before any performance. You can do a quick one during a performance. I've had it done at the Super Bowl. It's been uh, executed in less than 30 seconds at the World Series, on the mound, during the game. Um, And this assessment, once you're aware that you have low enjoyment or you have low optimism, the awareness of it fixes it. That's the beauty of the score check. This is an awareness-focusing tool to help you think about what you think about, and it's going to help you uh, maintain 
a steady climb up a ladder of success. So uh, set your alarm, everybody. But right now, let's, uh, let's see what's cooking in the Zone Cafe. If you believe that the missing link, the weaker link in your mindset is that you need a blueprint, you don't have a plan, you don't always have strategy and tactics for a meeting, or maybe even for every time you play your sport, self-discipline is what I would order. We got some cooking up in the bag. Is that right, Seth? We do have some self-discipline if that's what you need. Yeah, and, and that's the willingness and commitment to stay with a task to reach a well-defined goal. But maybe you do have a plan, but your mind wanders. Uh, your energy comes back on the other side of the scrimmage line, if you will. You start thinking about yourself and what you need to do and what you need to say, or you start thinking about way too many things. you got too many balls in there that you're juggling. Now your energy is going to be dispersed concentration is going to drop. That will become the weak link. So if you need to narrow your focus on one target, one objective, one goal, now we've got a big slab of concentration. Uh, Go through the drive-up window and put that in your car and drive away, and hopefully that'll balance your score level, which can take you up to a zone state. Maybe you need optimism. I know it's easy. Uh, in tough situations to have a little seed of doubt. Yeah, maybe I'm not good enough. Or, yeah, I don't know. He's so good. I, this, guy, this guy never loses. You, you can build up all kinds of thoughts to have low optimism. Or, I'm awesome. I can do this. I got this. And, and you can change your behavior instead of being 6'1", you're 6'8", and just change behavior. Chin up. Um, if you need optimism, order that right now. we got a bucket of it. That's an ingredient that is a glue that can pull everything together. But maybe you've got self-discipline. Maybe you do have a plan, and maybe you do focus. And maybe you aren't confident. Maybe you can be more, but... Boy, you just don't feel comfortable in those moments of truth. It just feels like I got to do something more. And, and I get that. I, I played the number one player in the world. And I, I could remember, this has been decades ago, I remember having that feeling that I got to do more than I know how to do, that I got to play the best I've ever played in my life. That's a recipe for disaster. And it was. As I walked out of the court going, oh, my gosh. And, and toward the end, I remember relaxing and go, he's good, but he's not that good. Yeah. You know, I had him build up. Uh, well, it was Jimmy Connors, so he, he was the best in the world, no question. An icon, a Hall of Famer. But, you know, you put people on a pedestal so high that even your imagination can't reach it. That, that's pretty amazing. So if you need to relax and get your breathing down and hinge your jaw, be aware of it, and just the aware of it will make you go, ah, get you to take a deep breath. That may be all you need, that little shot of serotonin. But maybe you need some enjoyment. Maybe you need to get fired up. Maybe you need to get some enthusiasm. That'll get a little dopamine in the bloodstream, a little shot of adrenaline on the side. Uh, so maybe you just need to pick up the pace, pick up the step. Maybe you need to skip a little bit. Maybe you need to laugh. And um, 
that can be an instant fix. Just a little laugh at the moment. That'll give you a little uh, dopamine into the bloodstream. What do you need for this week? What do you need right now? So let's talk for the overall week after you finish listening to this show. What ingredient would you like to take away to bolster your overall attitude to get you into a zone state? What do you think, Seth? What's on your mind? You know what? I actually, it's been a great week so far. I'm going to go self-discipline to have the self-discipline to keep an eye on my score level, which is something that you, you know, you talk about, like if you're up, you got to stay up, but you got to, you got to have your eye on making sure that you do stay up because there's always those little things that are threatening to, you know, to bounce your performance level a whole bunch of times up and down in one day. And the best way to not exhaust yourself and to have mental clarity is to make sure you're not falling off and have to come back up, right? So I'm going to go with self-discipline this week. What's what's going on in your week? What what are you selecting here? Enjoyment. Um, I you know I laugh every day and I have a lot of enjoyment every day. I, I want even more enjoyment because um, a lot of my clients have a lot of challenges. They're big. They're they're formidable uh, because they have lofty ideals, lofty uh, vision, lofty dreams, and uh, there can easily be setbacks. Uh, so I'm the guy that uh, if if I want the people that I'm coaching to enjoy the challenge, well, I need to reflect that. And I, I don't want to forget that, that, uh, that smile, that positivity, uh, that bounce in my step really carries a lot of weight. And um, I, I hope a lot of leaders understand that, that how impactful one smile or one pat on the back, uh, one kind word one encouraging moment, one teaching moment where you give one positive tidbit, one tip, one technique, one tool, uh, maybe the thing that completely turns an entire year around. So I, I need to be mindful that uh, even though I'm very serious about getting everybody in the zone and very focused and very confident, I need to make sure that I'm exuding what I want others to exude, which would be enjoyment i mean if it's not fun what's the point why why are we doing this right and hey by the way you, you can see it like when when you're walking around in your day you can see when somebody's off oh, and no question you know if if somebody's got a low score level in your life or you know sometimes even just somebody you've met casually you know it, it's probably gonna be a little weird for you to personally be like well could i check your self-discipline concentration optimism relaxation enjoyment what what i would actually recommend is instead of doing that which is uh a little little in depth just say hey there's this show you've got to listen to and spread the positivity make sure that you get them the jim fannin show and uh you know bring their score level up it, it could be that you are the person that changes their week or their month yeah I, I think as leaders uh as managers as coaches uh, being able to read body language read whether the person you're talking to has a higher low level of self-discipline or concentration or optimism, relaxation or enjoyment. Um, and that includes significant others, you know, spouses. We can have low score levels sometimes. And yes, we need to read it in ourselves, but we also need to be mindful that everybody we're with also has a score level. Everybody that's listening has a higher low score level. And you're only as good as the weakest link. So. Be mindful of your own, but also keep observing. 
you know, most of what's said is nonverbal. In my 90-second rule audio program, uh, you, you can go to the website and check it out. Uh, there's a section where I go through all the keys to low S-C-O-R-N-E. And those are also showcased in the book Score for Life uh, that uh, uh, Harper uh, published for me. It also exhibits all the keys to low score. And once you become aware of them in yourself and in others, uh, you're going to have an awesome life, an awesome career, and you're going to have some awesome performances. Everybody, get in the zone. Be in the zone. That purposeful calm when nothing can go wrong. And everybody around you, get them in the zone. And uh, and if you've got a, an important contest coming up, you've got an important week, an important month, uh, you've got some presentation, or you've got a club golf championship, close. Champions close. They finish and they just execute the basics when everybody else is trying to do more than they need to do. Be in the zone, everybody. It's the only place to be. This is a Leveling the Playing Field Quick Fix on Radio Influence. We have Kathy Burrows, who is the CEO, or as she likes to call herself, the Chief Energy Officer of sold out seating. I'm not a big fan of you got to make 100 calls, you got to make 120. I've had teams that I've worked with where um or, or sales reps that have called me and told me, you know, they they hit their goal before the season ended, they've exceeded their goal and yet they were written up because they weren't making 100 calls a day. And I'm like, you need to get out of there because there are teams that would covet you um because you're more of a relationship builder. I know when I um, do training, I, I work with them on the, the four areas um, of relationship building, influencing, strategic and executing that Strength Finders has. And they quickly see some people are, are very geared to one-on-ones. Some people are geared to in-groups. Some people are geared more to, I'm not comfortable in front of people. That's something we can work on. Some people are woo people that we're sticking them in an office forcing them to make calls when they should be out in public because that's where they're going to make their most sales. Um, trying to understand who our, our reps are really helps more as to, to helping them to be successful. Leveling the playing field with Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.